T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning. Welcome to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you for the next two hours. And uh, what a week it has been. We've seen protests around the country every day this week, though, for the most part, more peaceful than what we were talking about a week ago today. And then Thursday night, as Tim Wenger put it, three seconds. Put Buffalo on the map and not in the best light. So to break that down for us and the happenings of this week, we welcome Tim Wanger. Tim, good morning. Tim? Hello. Hey, Tim, good morning. Hey, Tim. How you guys doing? Doing well, Tim. Now, yesterday we, morning, we saw a uh, continuation of the protest downtown but let's start at the beginning of the week so last weekend last saturday we were talking about protests that turned into violence and to looting uh but we didn't see that this week no um i we didn't i mean um there's so many things that, that i've been thinking about you know really the past 24 hours is all of this is uh, kind of like digested in my uh, my system of, of covering it you know i was there a week ago saturday as you well know with brendan and uh, you know on the air with that coverage and woke up sunday morning last week thinking you know what um and why did it happen and then we had the incident that i think is gotten forgotten um uh to use some bad english there very quickly um, earlier in the week when three enforcers were hit by an SUV on, on Bailey Avenue. And it, it, it puzzles me. Um, there wasn't, is it, it just appears there was that much outrage, you know, after that incident. Um, you know, so we had that take place. That that was quick. And on Thursday night when we had the elderly gentleman um, who was, you know, down and seriously injured and remained in uh, a stable uh, over at ECMC, um, all of these are little benchmarks. Uh, I think a key thing, whole um, what what's unfolding and what's happening, is the curfew. Uh, my opinion here is that that curfew um, is misguided. The curfew has provided daily benchmark, a daily flashpoint uh, for both sides, um, and that's that's what happened Thursday night. Um, I was there each and every night uh, after the curfew was in place in Niagara Square, and word was 8 p.m. Um, and I've I've, uh, I've played this out a few times on the air, but um, you know the first night it was deep across Niagara Square, and you saw people in the you know the parking lots behind all 
um, like a overseas, you know, Middle East situation when you saw these police running after people, but it wasn't violent. Um, we saw tonight um, when when officers just uh, and everything just ended. And then, of course, Thursday night we saw what happened with the other gentleman. And there and there's been no violence. I think the curfew has created um, a portion of the problem. We're punishing an entire city of um, of demonstrators who get out and, and get their message out. And they've been doing so the past two nights um, peacefully, disruptively, but peacefully. Tim, uh, you mentioned about being on site and uh, the reporting has been really compelling, setting the scene, painting that picture in our minds. When you're there, can you feel a shift? Is it almost palpable as the curfew uh, gets closer and closer? Can you feel that in the crowd? Yeah, you know, the chants start, Brenda, about the curfew. Um, you know, they, they, there's a chant, you know, that I can't say on the air because of the word that's, that uh, leads it. But, um, you know, they just start to challenge the curfew. And I think they now know that they're not going to be challenged by police at 8 p.m. or shortly thereafter. Um, so I think they feel there's a victory there. Um, you know, whether you agree with that victory. I saw some social media posting last night, like, I guess the curfew applies for everybody except for those who are protesting, which is a valid point and a valid perspective for a lot of people in the city that are complying with it and not demonstrating. Um, you know, so there's, I think, feeling a victory among the protesters that they're able to continue into the night. And they did that last night right up until, um, you know, really midnight before they vacated Niagara Square um, and broke up with some splinter. Uh, smaller demonstrations, but, um, you know, so the, the police are not actively enforcing it among among the demonstrators. It will be very pivotal and interesting to hear what Mayor Brown does tomorrow after 5 a.m. You know, but, you know, you won't do it at 5 a.m., but sometime tomorrow is going to make a determination whether there is a curfew that continues. And I strongly feel that he will not continue curfew. Um, and I also feel that if he does, um, that that uh, that could be another deciding and pivotal moment. Tim, uh, Friday, the day after everything happened, we saw people downtown all day, it seemed. Uh, and that crowd got very large in the afternoon and at night. Now, we know that the police presence was minimal compared to nights before. Was there ever any tension? Was there ever any feeling downtown that this could get out of hand? So two things occurred Friday night, um, you know, all related to the, the one issue that we're talking about. But the mass demonstration you're referencing in Niagara Square uh, was carried out largely without any visible. And I'm going to use the word visible and, and emphasize it, police presence. Um, the police are there. OK, don't 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 anyone think that the police are ignoring what's happening in the city and that if some sort of uh, violent act were to play out, whether it's in Niagara Square, or on the streets of Buffalo, that the police aren't there in knowing, you know, in reacting to it. They're there. Um, I can tell you. I see them. I know where they are. Um, they, you know, they're they're just not visible. Um, and I think that's really strategic. And I think it's really really smart. So that's the situation in Niagara Square. When they do break away and they do that periodically, they did twice yesterday and on Friday night. I think they did it um, almost. I mean, it might have been four times. Um, Brendan and I were along for the march. Uh, Brennan, I think three times and me twice, but they, the police will lead, lead it, 
Um, they'll be in the front end of it. They'll try to figure out where they're going and stay in front with flashing lights and, um, you know, to, to signify to the community that this, this demonstration is coming into their neighborhood. And then they'll tail it, too. They'll be on the, uh, the backside of it. So there is visible police uh, presence there. And I can also tell you, on Friday night, um, you know, there was no, like, violence in, in way of, you know, injuries and, or what we saw on um, Thursday night in the square. Um, but I'm telling you, there were a lot of people in the streets, and there were a lot of arguments and a lot of screaming and shouting um, on Bidwell Parkway, um, right at Elmwood, right at the intersection there. We can all picture. Um, I, was, I was at my car, standing outside my car, and the vehicle in front of me, um, a guy was... was I guess not pulled, but encouraged to get out of the car by a demonstrator because he was shouting something out the window. And the demonstrator uh, broke his, his back window, just smashed in his back window and ran away. Um, you know, so there's some of that stuff that does happen within it. I didn't see any of that yesterday, nor did Brendan Keeney. He was along for the, uh, the march yesterday and there was no um, violence or occasional verbal alteration. Tim, I, I want to take you back to Thursday night when you were at the square uh, during the incident with Martin Cugino, and uh, you had talked about how you could hear his head hit the pavement. What a sound that was, and, you know, we've all looked at it over and over again. Did you happen to notice him at all during the uh, the course of the demonstrations and protests? Really interesting um, to bring this up, Brenda, because yesterday I had a, a long, long conversation uh, with a demonstrator in the square who was, and I've confirmed this in my video, um, who was there uh, on Thursday night, and he had concerns about Martin Gugino. Um, I never had any concerns. I certainly saw him. Um, he was talking, you know, amongst the protesters very quietly. He was sitting, leaning against the uh, one of the bollards, the parking bollards in front of City Hall, um, and really didn't stand out to me other than he was just an older gentleman that was, uh, you know, on the steps of City Hall, and um, you know, so I, I did not anticipate would be trouble. Um, the you know, that uh, this demonstrator showed me yesterday, and I'm still kind of piecing through it and going through it, um, shows him actually talking with police um, a long time. You know, we're talking, you know, half hour or so before the incident took place. He's at, at a marked Buffalo police officer talking with one of the officers, and at that time he was holding a helmet. Um, you know, there's all this, uh, you know, um, you know, discussion over why, was, why did he have a helmet? Why was he approaching the police line? Um, so, you know, minutes and minutes before the actual altercation took place, he had already been, con you know, communicating with police. I didn't see that firsthand, but I saw it in the video um, that I had now from this demonstrator. So he had already been, been talking with police um, before that incident occurred. Um, I, I found it really very perplexing and odd on Thursday night that, that most of the demonstrators wanted to leave. They agreed with police, and I saw that agreement take place, you know, 10 feet in front of my eyes, that 8.05, they would take a knee, they would leave. They did that, they began to leave, and then two people came in and started to agitate, and uh, as demonstrators were leaving peacefully, um, uh, Gugino then was the one that uh, was was walking toward the police line as the police line was coming toward him, and then we all know what happened after that. The whole world knows, it's for sure. Yeah, I mean, just uh, uh, it's international. I just received a, um, a message this morning, you know, uh, you know, looking for permission to use our Facebook video from Geneva, Switzerland. 
Yeah, I've seen it uh, all over. You know, the BBC had it. It's international now. And, and as are obviously the protests all over the world. Um, but who would have thought, you know, we always say there's a Buffalo connection. And how unfortunate that we're in the spotlight for something like this, Tim. Yeah, indeed. You know, and I stood, I was in, uh, I was at the press conference on Friday with Brown and Commissioner. Um, and it almost was an uncomfortable mayor, one more than he can. He's very angry at the situation. Um, I'm not saying the mayor is angry at demonstrators or angry at police. He's angry at the situation. And say what you want about Mayor Byron Brown, um, uh, whether you like him or you don't like him, because it is politics, I guess, at the end of the day um, when it comes to him. But the, I don't think you can argue the passion that he has for the city. And um, I, I do feel he's actually wounded by this personally. Um, because it just is an uncomfortable headline for the city of Buffalo after we've enjoyed, you know, the past several years of, you know, largely positive headlines about, uh, you know, this Rust Belt city that is emerging from the ashes and, and doing so well and still will and will in the future. Tim, uh, talking to protesters who have been out there all this week, and now you've got this talk of defunding the police. Did you hear that talk from protesters before Thursday's incident, or did it really ramp up the last two days? Um, well, we heard it. There, there's a, a group in Buffalo that uh, our Tom Puckett spoke with, I believe, on Thursday. Um, about the, I think that was the day that they, uh, the Buffalo Common Council passed the budget. It was so on Thursday, actually. You know, there were, you know, this group has been around for a long time, and they had been encouraging uh, defunding of the police department. They wanted the Buffalo budget voted down because it included, you know, money for the police department. The budget that was approved did cut uh, police funding somewhat. Certainly didn't defund them. When the mayor was asked in that news conference on a Friday about defunding the police department. Um, his response was really interesting. It was emphatic. It was, um, you know, just he felt ridiculous. I mean, I, in, in watching everything play out over the past week, when I was in Niagara Square a week ago last night, um, I can't imagine being there without the Buffalo Police Department, without law enforcement. Um, they've, I think, struggled over the course of the past week of adjusting their strategy and what to do you know, for example, as we've discussed at 8 p.m. So I, you know, I'm not saying law enforcement is right. There are a lot of issues there. But to come out and defund the police department or call for that, um, I think, you know, just falls on so many deaf ears. Um, you know, with people listening to this show right now, with, uh, um, you know, the mayor, certainly. Um, you know, it's he's outraged by it. And, uh, you know, so is uh, your DA, John Flynn. Yesterday, uh, among the many surreal moments that we feel like we've been experiencing, uh, not only with this situation, but the pandemic, now you have two Buffalo police officers charged with assault and seeing their, their faces, you know, through a, a virtual feed was unnerving. Uh, wh what was your feeling about how that all played out, the support that was out in front of the, uh, the courthouse and uh, what the repercussions might be going forward? Uh, we had uh, Mike Baggerman inside um, for the, the virtual um, uh, arraignment. So he was inside the court building at the time. I was outside with the, uh, uh, you know, hundreds of both 
VPD and BFP fire department union members who were outside and they were very angry. Um, and you know, they, they were having, uh, their own peaceful demonstration. Um, and it was very peaceful. Um, however, we're showing a lot of media trying to block cameras. You know, we were trying to take some photos and videos to, uh, you know, document this, this, uh, you know, continuing history in Buffalo and they were holding up umbrellas. They're very angry at the media's coverage of the Buffalo police right now. Um, whether that's warranted or not, um, you know, you can discuss, but, um, it was a tense mood. Um, when the two officers came out after the arraignment, they were put into, uh, an unmarked car with a police escort and, and pulled away to a thunderous uh, round of applause, um, which you've probably, you know, seen on our website and social media platforms. Um, it was really, it was, it was tense. Um, you know, they feel, you know, we talk about the police defunding, you know, I've always said, live a day in the life of a, a police officer and certainly a, an urban, you know, Buffalo police officer. And I think you're a special kind of person to be able to do that job and to face that kind of uh, um, situation each and every day. And then, and then uh, you know, feel like the community's turning on you. I think that hurts. Now, Tim, yesterday we saw all the uh, supporters of the police. Were there any demonstrations against the police or from those protesters we've seen every day at Niagara Square? We were really concerned about that, Joe, um, you know, which is really largely the reason we were there, because I, I, I was very concerned that if there were anti-protest, anti might be the wrong word, counter-protesters, um, you know, that would have been challenging the union members. There were only about three. Um, and one gentleman, an African-American man came into the street and he had a bullhorn and he started shouting um, really just, you know, disturbing uh, obscenities at, at police officers. Um, and at one point, I, you know, he was shouting at a, uh, I, I'm presuming she is a female Buffalo police officer, um, you know, just really, uh, you know, some pretty challenging um, verbiage at her. And she just simply looked at him and said, thank you for coming. Um, the Buffalo police that were there to protect the area, uniformed officers, went up to him and said, you know, you can't use a bullhorn without a permit. He did comply with that and continued to shout um, at the people. But there was never, I really was worried. I was worried because, you know, all these officers are there. They're already charged up emotionally. And it just would take one. I would say this, it just takes one. Everything. We saw that Thursday night. Um, and it had one of those, you know, union members, you know, uh, reacted to that guy. You know, we could have had a different situation. But to, to answer your question, uh, very little. I think in all, maybe three or four. Hey, Tim, before, uh, before you run, I wanted to ask you about what happens next. I know Mayor Brown had uh, a four-hour meeting on reform yesterday. And a lot of folks are urging people to adopt Cariol's law. And uh, we all remember the story about Carrie Horn, who lost her job as a Buffalo police officer, she was the whistleblower who wanted to uh, require police to witness their colleagues using excessive force to intervene. Uh, any thoughts on what might happen and if that law might be adopted? Yeah, I, th you know, whether that specific law is adopted or not, I don't know. She, by the way, was outside um, for a brief time um, outside of the uh, the courthouse yesterday, and Mike Eggerman was there. Um, for that portion of it, but just she also was in um, uh, Johnson Park on Thursday night just before the uh, the situation unfolded in front of City Hall. So she's been visible. She's been out and uh, and she's challenging the police. Uh, 
George, the uh, the city's uh, chief of communications um, person yesterday afternoon, actually, while I was down at the de demonstration, we did have uh, a phone call about that meeting that the mayor had. And, um, he described the mayor as hopeful following that meeting, said that there were a lot of initiatives discussed. Um, and of that, I think what will happen based on my conversation is that the mayor and those community groups will come out together um, and have some sort of a joint um, statement, a joint um, initiative or series of initiatives that will will happen. I think some of those will be um, recognitions and agreements that that uh, this is how things are handled. The mayor in his statement yesterday trying to push the police department into that community policing role. Um, I think, you know, going back to the beginning of this conversation, the curfew, in my, again, opinion, didn't work um, in the city of Buffalo. Um, they did it after the situation on Bailey. The curfew that's what the curfew, I think, did. And confrontation unnecessarily in policing has proven to not work. Um, and I think that is where we're headed in the Buffalo Police Department. Certainly, when someone's physical being in, in our public safety is being threatened, um, but I, there can't be confrontation, I think, between the police and, and a community um, just in general. It, it's, it's not healthy, it's, it's not a good discourse, and it helps as a, as a city. Well, Tim, thank you for joining us this uh, half hour and great coverage this week and last week. And we look forward to uh, following this as it progresses. We'll do that. There's a, a lot planned, I know. Um, you know, I think that the, the demonstrators are not going to stop, um, you know, and the police are not going to stop. Um, but I think the police have made some, um, you know, significant adjustments as we've discussed. And I do feel unless something untoward occurs, I think that we have at least passed, you know, the uh, uh, the peak of the, um, uh, you know, potential for, for violence. Let's hope so. All right. That is WBEN's Tim Wenger joining us here on Hardline. Coming up next, we will talk about all the happenings and the potential political consequences with Mr. Kevin Hardwick. That's after we get an update with news here on News Radio 930. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. WBEN. Well, welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer, Brenda Alacy with you until noon today when Meet the Press comes on. And joining us 
is the gentleman who made the show what it is, Dr. Kevin Hardwick. Dr. Hardwick, good morning. Good morning, Joe. How are you? Oh, Kevin, I am doing just fine. It is a pleasure to be on the phone with you this morning. Uh, Before we get into the political questions, uh, what is your opinion or your how do you see what's been going on the last two weeks? Well, I'll tell you, um, I've seen a lot of uh, bad behavior on the part of both cops and protesters. I think we've all seen that. And then, of course, you had the other thing, the thing the other night in Buffalo, uh, which is very curious because it's, it kind of reminds me of uh, the Bills season when there's a replay, you know, and you and I, Joe, both look at that replay and, you know, did it, was it a catch? Was it a fumble? You know, some people think it was, some people think it wasn't. And, you know, we look at the same tape and we come up with completely different conclusions. Uh, and I think that's what you see happening now. I was listening to some of the station the other day, and people thought that the uh, the cops did nothing wrong. Uh, of course, you, you go to a lot of other uh, venues, and you see people thinking that this was the worst thing that ever happened. Um, and, you know, it's it goes to the polarization of the country, I guess. Well, now let's uh, bring this into your world, uh, the political side of things and the potential political consequences. And Kevin, I'm going to start with what's been talked about now for the last week, this thought of defunding the police. Uh, How do you see that playing out, not only city by city, uh, but in the general election come November? Well, I'll tell you, I think that the people that are pushing the notion of defunding police uh, need to take a marketing course because the way they branded it is terrible. I mean, many of the people out there on the streets are chanting defund the police, and they actually want to defund the police as in no police. I mean, I think I, I really think they do, which is easy for people on the right to attack because that's a ridiculous idea. I, I think that uh, the original proponents of defunding the police, or what's come to be known as defunding the police, meant something quite different. Uh, they are they are arguing that we may be spending too much on police, and rather than maintaining armored vehicles and all of the rubber bullets and the riot gear and everything else, maybe we should take some of that funding, defund the police to a certain extent, and take that funding and put it into more mental health counselors or more education or more something else. Now, if you if you're talking about that, that's a legitimate policy debate that we should be having. But when you brand it as defunding the police, and immediately people think, well, you know, we're not going to have police. That's uh, who's going to protect us? Uh, you know, I think I think they lose that that argument, and I think it's it's kind of foolish. As I say, they have to do a better job of branding that. They have to come back with a, a different slogan uh, and maybe take a marketing class. Kevin, good morning. Nice to have you back on the show with us. And good morning, Brent. I wanted to ask you, hi, I wanted to ask you about the. Um, uh, the reforms in particular, and how some of that money, as you just said, might be shifted to education or mental health counseling. What, in your view, is the most realistic way that this can happen? Um, obviously, there's a great need for this to happen right away, but we know how slowly things can uh, progress. So do you think that there will be some you know, be- you can Before you can, uh, you can cure the patient, come up with a cure, you've got to stop the bleeding. And right now, Obviously, there's there you know to to have this policy discussion now, um, I think would be fruitless. I think it. I think people have to calm down. We have to get past what we've been going through the last couple of weeks, 
and uh, and we have to sit down and get serious about this stuff. And I think if anything, maybe this this whole two weeks uh, has pointed out the fact that we need to have this discussion. But I'm not sure that you know we need to we we, we need to make these decisions right away. We gotta we gotta all chill. Uh, and then we can then we can have this debate, and we have to make sure that we do have the debate that we carry through, that we don't just uh, calm things down and then go back to business as usual. But Kevin, like everything else in 2020, we aren't having that conversation. It has turned back into a political debate to where we're avoiding the conversation that needs to be had. It's you know it's everything intertwined. This year, Joe. You had the uh, the pandemic, which which I guess has gone away. We haven't heard about it. Remember, it was all the pandemic uh, all the time until uh, George Floyd was uh, was killed in Minneapolis, and now it's you know it's it's been bumped off the front page and bumped off to our TV screens. Uh, we just went over 110,000 uh, 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 succumb to uh, COVID-19, uh, but no one seems to have have noticed that. Um, you know, you, you earlier wanted to talk about the political ramifications all, of all that. Initially, when all of this happened, when the, when the protests turned violent a couple weeks ago, I mean, you know, really everywhere, and they were burning down that police station in Minneapolis, and there were, you know, bad things happening on, you know, all over the country, um, I, I said to anyone who would listen, you know, this is playing right into uh, President Trump's hands, because uh, he was, you know, he was losing support. His support was eroding because of his uh, uh, response to the uh, the pandemic. Um, but now he can, you know, he can stand up and he can be this law and order guy, and uh, you know, divide the country that way. And and if that becomes what's on people's minds in November, uh, he could he could win this thing on this. I don't think he's going to win it on his response to the pandemic. Uh, but then, of course, he did the uh, stunt the other day with the photo op. Uh, which was pathetic in front of the church, holding the Bible, um, you know, and not 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 going into the church, not praying, not saying anything about anything other than you know it was obviously a photo op where you, know, you you do to to get that photo op we use the 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 police and the to uh, to to gas the crowd to get them out of there um, you know to use force against them that was you know that was foolish. And that turned some of his former uh, uh, former cabinet folks against him. Jim Mattis, the former Secretary of Defense, I think that was a tipping point for him. A lot of people uh, respect uh, General uh, Mattis and General Kelly, who came out right after that and supported Mattis. Uh, so I think that was, you know, uh, that was Trump um, turning the tables on himself, if you will. Well, before I get to my follow-up question, uh, it turns out there was no tear gas used to clear those protesters. And I don't remember p- politicians being against photo ops. But, but I digress. Uh, but, but, Joe, let me, I, let me just jump in here. There, there was pepper balls and there, oh, were, I mean, there was gas all the time. But to use force uh, to clear a crowd just so that the president can walk across the street to hold up a Bible in front of a church... Um, you know, that's that's stretching the uh, the the idea of a photo op. You, you mentioned the pandemic, and I'd like to go back to that for a, mi- uh, a minute, because we are seeing some hypocrisy from mostly uh, liberal politicians, politicians who less than a month ago were telling us that we weren't going to be able to have weddings. We weren't going to be able to go to sporting events. Uh, our county executive said, I would highly doubt that you're going to see a packed house 
at the stadium this year. But those same politicians are now joining crowds of thousands of people while we are still allegedly in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, well, I, I think most of us think. I, I don't know how you feel, Joe. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing my mask. I'm doing what I'm told. Uh, but my, my, my gut tells me that for the next couple months anyway, I have a vacation scheduled in August. Uh, I hope to go to a water park during that, take my family there. I'm hopeful that that's going to be able to happen. I'm really worried, though, about what happens in October, November. Uh, I've, I've told anybody that would listen that if I were the NFL, I would start the, uh, the season. I'd have like a 10-game season start July 4th and have it over by the end of October, early November. Because I, I I, I'm very concerned what's going to happen uh, in the, uh, you know, in, in the fall. But Kevin, can I ask you this? If you're a small business owner who can't open till phase four, say you own a gym and you haven't been told by the state yet when you can open your gym and you see the governor, uh, the county executive who told you, hey, you can't do this, but they're out there. If all we have to do is strap a mask on, then we should probably reopen the state. Well, I'll tell you, I haven't, I don't know, I, I, maybe I'm watching different uh, TV than you're watching, but I haven't seen, for instance, a county executive uh, standing, you know, a foot away from someone without a mask talking something. I'm seeing him in his press conferences, the, uh, the media are at a distance. Uh, you know, I'm seeing, I'm seeing him anyway practice social distancing. Kevin, I want to take it back uh, to the local scene. Not only are we in the midst of this uh, pandemic, as you talked about, which, uh, you know, unbelievably feels like it was a long time ago and it it was put on the back burner. Um, But also we're in the middle of this racial strife. And I'm curious, you know, we talk about you being a professor, but you're also an Erie County legislator. What are you hearing from your constituents about their businesses being affected by the pandemic, their concern about their health? and also their concern about their safety, given the situation we're currently in in Buffalo. Yeah, Brenda, I, I wasn't able to hear your entire question. The, the volume isn't as high on you as this Joe, but, but that's par for the course, because Joe, as we know, is a loud person. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, you know, in terms of what I'm hearing, I mean, I'm thinking, I, I, I'm hearing the same thing everybody is hearing, that this is, uh, you know, we, we wish we could get back to normal. Uh, I think people understand that there's a problem. I think People, I think everyone uh, that I talk to, questions whether maybe we have gone too far. Joe's question about small businesses, the gym, I think they're legitimate questions. I think if we had this to do over again, maybe we wouldn't have gone with the complete shutdown right away the way we did. Maybe we would have thought things through. The problem is uh, that, uh, you know, you can remember back in March when, uh, when we came to that decision, it came on us awfully quickly. And it was like, you know, you got to make a decision. Every day you wait, uh, more people are going to die. So you made a decision, and you knew that it wasn't going to be necessarily the perfect decision. Uh, but, uh, you know, but you had to do something. Uh, I, think, uh, I think if we have to go through this again in the fall, um, you know, I think we might do a few things differently. I would hope that we would. You know, you, you, we've, we've got to learn uh, from our experience. Uh, and this is something that an experience we haven't had during our lifetimes. Uh, Kevin, what is the legislature doing to help small business owners who have suffered greatly because of the pandemic? What, what exactly are you uh, lawmakers proposing to do? And have you had any 
uh, progress in getting things done, uh, even though things often, you know, work very slowly with these types of reforms? Well, I'll tell you, Brenda, the, the, what we're working on now is, is trying to uh, solve our own budget crisis, because obviously we've lost a lot of revenue from sales tax, uh, from uh, hotel occupancy tax and, and other sources, uh, and, and we're running a deficit in Erie County. And depending on who you talk to, it's either $206.6 million or $137.8 million. Uh, dollars. Uh, the first uh, estimate being the uh, controller, Stefan Mahailu, the, uh, the latter estimate being the, uh, the county executives. And if we do nothing, then, you know, then, then you're, you're looking at, you know, you're looking at disaster. You're probably looking at large tax increases next year that are going to affect homeowners and businesses alike. Um, that's, I'm, I'm convinced that that's not going to happen. We're not going to tax our way out of this. But we are going to have to make some very difficult decisions in the next few weeks. And I think that's where our focus is on now. Um, you know, our primary focus is on that. It's something that we have to do. I, I've got a, me, Oh, I'm sorry, Brenda. Go ahead. Let me just ask Kevin a question in the broader sense, too, about how the current situation with both the pandemic and the, the violence that's been occurring and the protests that will um, seemingly continue for a while will affect the NY27 race. Uh, there's a debate coming up between Chris Jacobs and Nate McMurray this week. Uh, how do you think that might impact the race? Yeah, I, 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 have, I, I don't have a handle on that. That's not my district, but I'm, I'm just speculating that it, in the end it, it may not make a huge difference uh, except maybe for turnout. You know, I mean, I got my absentee ballot for, for races in, in my area. Uh, my friend Bill Conrad's running for New York State Assembly, so I, I put out and uh, got an absentee ballot for that race. Um, but, I mean, you know, these absentee ballots come and they sit around the House, and a lot of people will probably won't return them. I, I mean, I have no idea how, how everything's going to work out there. Kevin, I want to go back to my, uh, to my uh, pandemic uh, question here. If you've seen my Twitter, I'm, I'm kind of hot on that the last few days. Um, but, you know, you have the governor who said, we can't have any fairs, you know, you can't have any weddings. Um, but do you think maybe that should have been, you can't have any of these things unless you have a mask, right? Because the Erie County Fair is huge in this area. Yep. That, that's been canceled. Um, a lot of people I know had to cancel their weddings. Um, if they had just put a mask on, do you think that could have been handled differently? And I'm not talking about in March. I'm talking about two weeks ago. Joe, I'm, Joe, I'm sympathetic to that argument. I really am. Um, I, I mean, I think it's something that, that should be considered. Uh, however, I'm not an epidemiologist. I mean, I'm just a layperson like you. And again, my operating assumption is that for the next couple months, uh, it's not going to be as big of a deal. But like the flu... Um, you know, people have compared to, this, to the flu, uh, and I think, uh, think their comparison is way off base in that this is much worse than the flu, it's more deadlier, it's more contagious. However, however, like the flu, you know, it, I'm not worried about the flu in the summer, but in February I'm, I'm, I'm worried about it. And I think this thing is, is, is going to come back, or I think there's a, a likelihood of it. Uh, and I'm, that's what I'm most concerned about. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, stuff in the summer, um, again, as I said, maybe we did go too far in a lot of instances, and we could, uh, you know, open, open up more in the summer. 
Well, and Kevin, don't sell yourself short. You are a person who uh, I have a lot of respect for and take everything you say with uh, well, so heavily. I don't know if you're ushering me out, but before... before I'm not. thing I want to say, Joe. Okay. You know what? I was, you'll appreciate this. Last night I was up late, and, and by late I mean for me it's anything past 10 o'clock. I was watching SNY. I was watching the 1969 World Series Game uh, 4. Uh, Tom Seaver got his uh, first World Series win there in uh, in extra innings. Anyway, and he went extra innings. He pitched ten innings. Imagine that. That's awesome. Um, you know who does that anymore? But anyway, ni- that was 1969, and you know that was after 1968. And 1968 is the year that a lot of people are comparing 2020 to, because 1968 was the year from hell. I mean, we had political assassinations. We had the the riot at the at the Democratic convention. It was just it was just a terrible, terrible year. But after 1968, of course, came 1969, and you had the Mets winning their first World Series. Uh, so, Joe, for at least you, uh, being the big Mets fan that you are, um, you know, I'm saying there is hope that maybe you know when we turn the page and we get to 2021, things will be better. Well, uh, honestly, guys, how could it be much worse, right? <laughs> and and poor Tom Terrific is long retired. There's nothing we can do about him. But Kevin and Joe, my last thought on this with the pandemic, you know, uh, I can't help but look at all of these crowds of protesters, the rioters, and then even the uh, police officers and other folks who came out in support of the officers who were arraigned yesterday, standing shoulder to shoulder. And from what I could see on TV, not a whole lot of masks being worn. I do predict that there's going to be another outbreak in a couple of weeks. And then I wonder, uh, Joe and Kevin, what will that do to the bill season, to the festivals, to the fairs, and anything else that people might have uh, scheduled in the fall? Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I had the same observation about the masks. Um, yeah, it did, it did seem rather strange there, but, you know, it is what it is. I don't know whether there'll be another outbreak in a couple weeks. I, I just don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not the scientist. I would not, if I had been there, of course, I would have been wearing a mask, or I wouldn't have been there if other people weren't wearing a mask. Whether it's going to be an outbreak or not in a couple weeks, I don't know. Uh, I really don't. But in terms of the bills and and all of that, I just think, you know, in, in, in the fall, I think, uh, even if they do open it up and they say, yeah, you can have 70,000 people in that stadium, I'm not sure you're going to get 70,000 people step forward given everything we've gone through to say, yeah, I'll, I'll sit next to, you know, 70,000 70, other people and, and be in that stadium. I, I just don't see it happening. Kevin, one real last question because I know you got to get out of here. Um, you said the things like the photo op that might be hurting President Trump this week. How do you think those surprise job numbers will help him? Yeah, if if certainly that that works in his favor. I mean, you know, it, it's an expectation game. Everybody was expecting twenty percent. You know, the unemployment rate to rise to darn near twenty percent, and here it actually dropped to thirteen percent. Thirteen percent, you know, uh, in the grand scheme of things, is 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 not great. But given where we were and what was expected, it's fantastic. So yeah, that uh, that certainly doesn't hurt Trump, and it works in his his favor. Well, if it continues, if the trend continues. Now, a lot of people are questioning those numbers uh, and, you know, what's behind them because of the way they, you know, they calculated furloughed workers and the like. But, you know, even so, it's for for the day, at least it's a it's a good headline for him. Well, Dr. Kevin Hardwick, always a pleasure to have you on and hopefully we'll be talking soon.
Let's go Mets, Joe. Yes. Well, let's go Players Association and League actually working out an agreement so we could have some baseball this summer. You got it. All right. Dr. Kevin Hardwick joining us here on Hardline, the show that he made so popular. Uh, Brenda and I are just trying to continue the legacy he set. You know, Joe, the houses of worship are now uh, allowed to reopen at 25% of their capacity. So I'd be curious for anybody who wants to call or text us at 716-803-0930. What was it like? Did you go to church? Did you go to a service? Did you go to your house of worship? Uh, what was it like in terms of social distancing, mask wearing? I'd love to hear what people have to say. And also, uh, I was pa- able, I'm sorry. I was able to get a haircut this week, thanks to my stylist, George Sabovic, and get my hair colored, uh, thanks to Debs Emerson. And I'll tell you, Joe, I felt like a new person. So there was some degree of normalcy getting these little things done uh, in this kind of cocoon that we're living in now, uh, known as the pandemic. (laughs) So I'm glad to see the churches are reopening and that we can, you know, start to have some of our normal routines back in our lives. Yeah, I'm happy to see that. I was happy to see people out on patios this weekend as uh, patios are allowed to open in phase two. Brenda, I have not gotten my hair cut yet, but let me just say in, I'm getting an extra push from home to get that haircut as soon as possible. So I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> well, you'll feel a lot better when you do, trust me. Well, yeah, see, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run today with the long hair, and then the first day after the cut, see how much I can take off my mile with, uh, with shorter hair. It'll make you so much more aerodynamic. That's what I've been told. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll see if that happens. Hey, coming up after the, ba- uh, the break, Dave Graber from Channel 4 will join us. He's been there all week. He was there yesterday. We will talk to him, and we will talk to you here on Hardline on News Radio 930 WBEN. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T Mobile.com. 